Hey, Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey, Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. A lot of you know that in addition to this podcast, I'm also the co-founder and co-publisher of Brick and Elm Magazine, which I launched in 2021 with Michelle McCaffrey. The January-February issue of that magazine is on newsstands now. We're right in the middle of planning and writing and photographing our March-April issue. I'm excited about it. If you haven't subscribed to Brick and Elm, do it at brickandelm.com. As part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm, I want to give a podcast shout-out to the Amarillo campus of the Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center online at ttuhsc.edu. Today's guest is Constable Idella Jackson. Now, recently, Idella was named the city's Black Woman of the Year for 2022, and she's the Precinct 4 Constable for Potter County, an elected position she's had since 2013. And I think most local people don't really know or understand the role a constable plays in this area. Idella is a licensed peace officer. She performs a variety of law enforcement functions, and so we definitely talk about what it means to be a constable for the county. But there's a lot to her story beyond her job. She arrived in Amarillo as a very young single mom. She found her way into correctional work for years at the Bill Clements unit outside Amarillo, and that was very challenging. She worked in the Potter County Sheriff's Office, and she continued moving up the ladder. And so we talk about her career path, but also about her commitment to Amarillo and why she thinks it's so important for young children of color to see her wearing her uniform. So here's Idella Jackson. Constable Idella Jackson, welcome to the Hamrilla hey Podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Jason. Yeah, I am absolutely excited. Well, I'm excited to have you. I've known you for a little bit of time, um, but I'm, I'm eager to hear your story. And I want to start yes. with you the same way I start with all my guests. And that's just to ask you why you're here. So what brought you to Amarillo in the first place? Well, what brought me to Amarillo is a very interesting story. As a young lady, oh, I guess I was at age 18, I was involved in a domestic relationship with a young man who's the father of my two oldest kids. And we was up here visiting some of his family. Okay. And unfortunately, we uh, altercation occurred, and uh, his family didn't agree with what he, he had done. And he ended up having to leave the area. And although I wasn't from him, I'm originally from Lubbock, Texas, he left me and my little my little small children's uh, mm. abandoned. So he abandoned us here, and we've been here ever since. And this was in Canyon, Texas. Okay. Started off in Canyon, So Texas. Lubbock's not that far away. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, He's you, right up but you deci- did you decide it was easier to stay here as opposed to going back to where maybe you had more family or something? As a young lady, I didn't have any transportation. I had right. no choice but to stay here after he left me. Here and uh, fortunately, his family was very, very nice to me and ensured that I had a place to lay my head until I got okay. up on my feet. And so uh, I just <laughs> pulled myself up by my bootstrap and, 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 and made a determination: I'm gonna have to do this thing. Okay. And so that's what I did. So you grew up in Lubbock? Uh, yes, born and raised in okay. Lubbock. I left Lubbock at a very, very young age. Uh, oh my God! I think I was 15 when I left home. Okay. Uh, I lost my mom at the young age of nine, and so my father, who was a minister, uh, pretty much raised me and one of my other siblings, and very, very strict. He was a minister, <laughs> and I was rebellious, mm-hmm. and at a young age, uh, didn't have much interest in school, 
uh, unfortunately, and so I left home. Hmm. I left and uh, went to the area of Loveland, Texas. Don't know if you... Uh, I know. Yeah, it's know just right it. up the way from Love again. And went there, and that's where I met the gentleman. Okay. It later became the father of my two oldest kids. Did you finish high school? Did you I get didn't. a GED or anything like that? Check this out. I was a high school dropout. All right. High school dropout, like I said, had no interest in school, hung around the wrong crowd, didn't have much motivation in, you know, in my young life. And I see that in, a lot in today's young people as well. So my journey could have ended up a whole different <laughs> you know, way than what it is today if I hadn't made that different. And what helped me change my life situation is I got pregnant at a very young age. And, you know, that instinct, that mother instinct just took over me mm-hmm. as, as a young lady. And I realized I'm responsible for another human being. And so I had to make that 360 turnaround. Mm-hmm. And not everybody life. makes that choice they either. Don't. Like that's, there's no guarantee that that sense of responsibility is going to kick in. Not at all, Jason. And, and I am grateful uh, for God's amazing grace for changing my, my path in life. Because like I said, I could... <laughs> have a whole different outcome if I wouldn't have changed my All right. So I, I want to hear about that path. So you you end up in Amarillo, age 18, kind of abandoned. Was abandoned. A young mom. Young mom of two. Of two yes. without a high school, at least without the graduation. With that graduation. So, so what did you do? How, how so did you what get by? I what I did was I said, okay, I got a plan that I need to put in place, and that is first to go back and get my GED. Okay. And as a single mother, um, there's so much, so much uh, resource out there. When you want to, you know, make it, uh, it's out there for you. It's provided for you. So I <laughs> I was able to uh, connect with some different uh, organizations who helped me with daycare. I got into school at real College, as okay. a matter of fact, is where I obtained my, my GED. Okay. And once I got my GED, my uh, counselor directed me to, you know, the nursing program. So I got enrolled into college, started in the nursing field, <laughs> and uh, just started that path to success. Hmm. Started that path to success. And, and uh, when I look back on my life, I sometimes, you know, come to tears because it was tough. Yeah, well, <laughs> it was imagine. tough. Yes. So did you, did you end up with a nursing degree? I'm going to tell you the story. All right. <laughs> so while I was in the nursing program, I went and I, I uh, received uh, what you call a med tech to get my medication where I was able to dispense medication okay. out. Uh, I worked in a nursing home as a, a nurse's aide. I did housekeeping. I worked in a food service. And once I got my medication tech uh, certification, I was able to dispense medication to the elderly. And then there was a job opportunity for me I saw that came open at the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. They was hiring med techs. Somebody <laughs> dispense some medications there, I To imagine. offenders, yes. Wow. And so at the age of probably 22, I applied for TDCJ as their med tech and got hired. Hmm. And that started my journey. What? How long did you do that? I did that only two years okay. before I uh, transferred over to the correctional okay. side. What was that like being in a medical oh. capacity there in a correctional facility? I mean, we see stuff on TV. You know, that's where people try to escape and they attack yes. doctors or nurses. And all yes. that stuff. I, I don't know anything about that. So what's right, it like? Right. It was very, very tough for me being a young lady of color. Mm-hmm. They're not accustomed to seeing <laughs> women who look like me in those environments. And so when I, and it was back in 92, 
oh, so many years ago. <laughs> so back in 92, as a young lady, I was like, what have I got myself mm-hmm. <laughs> into? So the offenders there thought, well, since she looked like us, because there's a lot of offenders of color there, thought that I posted catered to their needs yeah. and gave them more than what they were required. I stood my grounds. You know, it wasn't overly dangerous because, like I said, I was always in a secured area sure. dispensing medication. Anytime we left the area, we was escorted by correctional officer. But the experience was just so overwhelming because of the behavior of the offenders. And I quickly realized that the medical field wasn't what I wanted to <laughs> At do. At least not in that, that environment. Not in that environment. So you, you, know, you were there a couple of years and started thinking... Maybe the correctional different. side looked more attractive yes, to you than the medical side? Is because it? Jason, growing up, I always had an interest of being uh, going to work in a uniform, which even as a med tech, I was able to wear uh, you know, one of those uh, medical uniforms. But I wanted to be in the criminal justice law enforcement field. Hmm. And so a couple of ranking officials asked me, you got because they were shorthanded, you got any interest, interest in uh, being on the correctional side? And so <laughs> I messed around and did. So I transferred over to the correctional side. And what an experience that was, mm-hmm. working in the correctional side. As I was probably, at the time, turned 23 when I started uh, on the correctional side, 23 or 24. And uh, wow, <laughs> never experienced something like that in, in my life. When you're a woman in that position, do you deal only with female inmates? No. Or is it like co-ed all the way Jason, From the correctional side of right. things. Right. Bill Clemens unit was all male unit. One of the second largest uh, unit in the state of Texas mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, the Neal unit at the time had all females when I started, but I was placed in the Clemens unit. So as when I was working in the medical uh, field, they just transferred me over to the corrections at the same unit, and it was Bill Clemens. Did you have to deal was, with some of the same kinds of even more behavior i mean like yes and i I don't know if you ever heard you know uh offenders are known for you know master Mm -hmm. in 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 the presence of a female uh staff whether that be correction or medical uh cause foul language you know towards you and if you're not being safe you can easily get assaulted in that environment as well so transferring over to the correctional side i was more in contact with the offenders. I, it wasn't no, you know, barrier that was separating sure. me like it was when I was in the medical field. So <laughs> I was placed in some of the most violent, some of the most violent uh, environment inmates uh, at the time. We had uh, it was like a prison inside a prison. I mean, Clemens Union is like a little city mm-hmm. out there, and they had a program called the Pamio. And it's a program for the aggressive, mentally ill offenders. And these offenders are very violent and very dangerous offenders. And that's where I was placed, you know. And a lot of times it's a known fact that uh, newbies or, you know, women are put in those environments Hmm. to try to run them up. And so, unfortunately, that didn't work out. I was going to say, yeah. How do you you treat that? Do you treat that as, okay, I've got to endure this? I have to endure it. I mean, do you see it as a way for you to... To grow or as a person, not as a correctional officer, but as a person, how do you deal with a, a situation like that? As a person, you deal with it to uh, prove a point that you may not want me here, but it ain't up to you. Uh, it's not your decision. whether, And that's what drove me. Mm. You know, You're going to prove them wrong. I'm going to prove them wrong. Then I'm going to survive this, this thing. And, and I did my job. Mm-hmm. I did it to the best of my ability. I followed all the policies and procedures. Created uh, 
much respect amongst the mm -hmm. offenders because I, I treated them all, you know, equally. I was firm, firm, consistent. I, as a young lady, you know, I had some run-ins with a couple of inmates. You know, a lot of times, you know, I might slip out a, a foul language or two because they really, really, really pushed. But overall, the whole 12 years I was there, I never been assaulted. But once an inmate, an offender, actually, uh, he chunked some fluid on me, but it wasn't even for me. Uh, as we walk on the runs and do our head counts and everything, my partner uh, was the one that he wanted to, you know, chunk this uh, <laughs> this liquid on. And and it wasn't for me, and he apologized. And I am so grateful to God that he protected me throughout those years and ensured my safety because mm -hmm. so many of my co-officers got injured. Uh, we had one during the time I was there actually Got murdered, and hmm. I know you probably heard the story. You from Amarillo? I remember uh, that? Yes, he worked in the, I think the boot, uh, factory, and the offender had obtained a knife and oh, ended wow. up. Yeah, I mean, they're that, they're looking they're looking for weakness, right? I mean, they're trying to intimidate you and see if if you can handle what they're going to throw it, at you, or if you're going to stand up to them. Or yes, and you know what I think that helped me survive growing up just in the streets. You know, yeah. being able to. I, had to fight my whole life growing up. Uh, you know, I was poor, didn't have anything, was always picked on, you mm -hmm. know. And so I think that— Even coming from a, a pastor's family. Like oh, even coming from a pastor's family. Maybe more family. so. Yes. And, you know, a lot of the, the individuals I went to school with didn't know my, my dad was a preacher or whatever. And, again, I was rebellious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I always, you know, was doing something I didn't have no business doing. But I think that's what helped me. Survive, mm -hmm. you know, while I was inside you know, the prison system. I mean, then just treating everybody with dignity and re respect and always being consistent in how you, because they watch you and that's all they do for 24-7 is yeah. see how you operate yeah. and how you conduct your, you know, your duties. I had a uh, white Hispanic and I think the black offenders were the main ones who disrespected me. I gained respect from the Mexican mafia to the Aaron brothers, you know. It, it just all based on how you treat them hmm. and how you conduct your your business. And I've been fortunate throughout my career that that's how I operate. And that's how I continue to operate and to be successful. So you did that for 12 years? I did it for 12 years. I When actually, did you start to think, okay, I'm, I'm ready for something else? Time to do something different. I made it all the way up to the rank of lieutenant. Okay. and Always uh, at, at, at the, the Clemens, Clemens unit, right? Yes. You never transferred anywhere no, else? I didn't. Stayed my whole career at the Clemens Unit. So after a couple of years in correction and experiencing supervisors that weren't the best supervisors, <laughs> I was like, you know, if this individual can and can be a supervisor, I know I could do a really good job at, as a supervisor, you know. And so I started researching policies and procedures and learning the job of a sergeant. And after two years, I started going up on promotional boards mm -hmm. because I, I felt that we, at the time, that the department deserved uh, good supervisors with, you know, good quality, integrity, and professionalism. You know, I, I, I kind of balanced my supervisors on the ones not to do yeah. <laughs> and the ones yeah. what to do. Which I think everybody does that. Everybody does it. And Was it difficult as a woman of color to move up in that no, way? I mean, are there barriers that you're you're having to oh my God. fight your way through? You you got to know it, Jason. It was very, very tough, but I didn't give up. I was determined. Uh, I knew I had it in me 
to lead, you know, the group of officers in the right direction and, and to be safe out there by just doing their job. You know, we was there to take care of those offenders, mm-hmm. whether, you know, you wanted to or not. That's what the state hired you to do, you know. And, and I they stayed, they kept me in that area of the PAMEO program. So when I promoted to sergeant, we had just opened up the high security unit. And this unit attracted offenders from throughout the state of Texas who was highly violent. Very violent. So the department decided to promote me to sergeant. <laughs> and guess where they put Miss yeah. Jackson? They put me over there in this high security uh, area where all these violence, just, I guess, to test and see if I had it in me. And I tell you, <laughs> it wasn't an easy test at all. We fought constantly, you know, having use of force. Because those offenders, anytime you open up a new unit, they their whole deal is to uh, test the water. Sure, yeah. They want to see if we can run this unit, you know, and see what type of uh, officers they have, where they were weak, uh, easily influenced. And so we had to put a bluff over mm-hmm. them. I had a awesome cold sergeant that I worked with and a good lieutenant, and we set the we set the tone. We we did twelve hours, and oh my god, what an experience! Is was very violent. Offenders. We had a situation where they were shooting darts that they made, you know, in they they cells at our officers. And every time we go on the run, you know, they was starting, you know, uh, flooding the runs and everything. So, man, oh, what an experience! <laughs> <laughs> when it, when it did you start to think, too. man, I'm, I'm ready for something into? else? I mean, I, like, did you think this is this is something I'm going to do the rest of my life? I'm moving up the ladder or did you start to think maybe there's another thing where I'm not getting darts you know, I know, thrown right at me. and having to use use force constantly yeah. on offenders. So as a sergeant, I did that for two years after we opened up the, the high security unit. I did the sergeant for two years and, and felt that in order to make a major difference, I need to go up in rank. And so I started preparing for the lieutenant. And normally the lieutenants on ship are the ones who actually run the run the ship. Mm-hmm. And so once I promoted to lieutenant, they placed me back where I started from. And that was the PAMEO where the, the uh mentally ill offenders mm-hmm. was there who cut their wrists. Oh, they was just very dangerous and, and, and suicidal. Had a lot of suicidal. I had some of them who was successful in uh taking their own lives and I got to promote to lieutenant. And had a a staff of probably about fifty five officers, and very inexperienced, <laughs> new young uh, officer had a, several elderly officers. And again, this environment is very violent. Mm-hmm. You know, and these guys uh, would do anything because they don't have nothing else to do. So right. we constantly dealing with you know offenders, whether they're jacking our slots, whether they're covering their cell doors, refusing to return a, a tray, you know, so I was constantly there, in, you know, dealing with issues. And I'm so grateful for my communication skills, you know, to be able to talk to individuals, talk a person mm-hmm. down. I've never been a person, you know, who uh, instigate a situation, make it turn worse than what it have to be. So I uh, definitely grateful for those skills that I was able to talk. Well, things. and you're dealing with inmates, but you're also managing people and too. Managing I mean, if you had people 55 people that up were, under my leadership, yeah, under your leadership, that's that's a that management is a change. It is a big change. 
It is a big change. And, and, and the lieutenant is always responsible for ensuring that the use force paperwork was completed properly. We had to write our summary of the account or everything that occurred. So that was a very stressful time, too. But I'm grateful for the challenge and I'm mm-hmm. grateful for the experience. And then I realized, Lord, I know you got something better for me <laughs> to do because uh, TDCJ wasn't getting any better. They kept sending me very inexperienced officers. Uh, and ultimately, I was held accountable for their behavior. And anytime something happened, again, your leadership is the one has yeah. to be held accountable. Yeah, the buck stops with you. It stops with you. And so I had a couple officers who had had enough, and they applied for the Party County Sheriff's Office and put me down as a reference. And I've always been uh, a great supporter of anybody who wanted to better their, their situation. And so uh, when I got the call from one of the the investigating officers uh, for couple of my officers who applied, it was a young sergeant. She was a sergeant, and she asked me, she said, won't you come? <laughs> Just out the blue, that's how I know God works in mysterious ways. She said, we don't have any any females, not too many females uh, working part of the We'd love for you to apply. Way more money, less hmm. responsibility. And so, you know, after a while, I said, you know, I might have to look into this thing. And so when I talked to my captain about my interest in uh, possibly going to the Party County Sheriff's Office and, uh, you know, all the years of dedication that I gave to them, they they begged me to stay yeah. uh, based on experience. And they were like, well, Ms. Jackson, let us put you in general population and maybe we can keep you there. Yeah, we'll give you something a little bit easier. Give me something a little bit easier. And, and it, I think it was too late at that time. Yeah. I made up my mind to do something. What year was, was that? When did you decide to leave? Yeah, decide to leave. 2005. Okay. 2005. And so did you get hired on to Potter County? I did. I, I worked probably about six months in general population. And I was like, ah, I think, because the captain who uh, t- talked me into going to uh, general population, very good captain. He had just transferred from down south. And he's like, we just got to try to keep, you know, good people. But Part of county would definitely offer me more money and then, of course, less responsibility. Right. So And so I looked into part of county, you know, the opportunity that they had available. I'm like, okay, I could do this. I mean, I would have less responsibility. won't have to be responsible for anybody else. Actually, we actually get paid more money and be able to advance in the department there as well. So I did. I applied, passed the physical agility test, uh, got in at part of county, uh, and was thinking, oh man, you know, I could, I could do this thing, become a deputy, and get out in the field, and that didn't work out as planned. <laughs> that didn't work out as planned. So tell me why? Why did that not work? I tell you, I had the most experience coming in from working at a maximum security unit, promoted all the way to lieutenant. And another reason, Jason, I didn't tell you the reason why I left TDCJ because I started trying to promote to captain as well, and they refused to promote me to captain. So that's when I knew that it was time to go as well. But uh got it part of county and put my time in, was thinking, well, you know, with my experience, surely it shouldn't be no issue with me promoting and advancing in this department because I come with some great... <laughs> you, you've great, already dealt with a lot of bad guys, you know. I dealt with some very violent yeah. guys. And uh, uh, and I, I, I did my work, you know, to the best integrity ever, and I know I can contribute to this department. It just wasn't accustomed to having... A person like me in that position, you know, in that, you know, working in that environment. And, and but there weren't very many women in that environment, were there? Not a lot. Okay. Now, it was several, 
I think it's way more than it was when I was at okay. TDC. But uh, were you the only black woman though? At the time on that shift, it's probably about two of us. Okay. And then on other shifts, they had a few a different shifts had, okay. this, but not that many. Every in this field of work, this criminal justice laws for you'll never see it many, that many of us. I can go out to this day and people look at me like I'm a you know from another. <laughs> I even had a young. I got to plug this in. I had a young lady. I went to their home. She even stated to me like, "I'm sorry, I'm just in awe because I've never seen a black female officer." <laughs> and this young, I said, "I know, I know, you know." And, and if only she knew my story and how. Tough it was yeah. for me to get. I, to, I think that's true, though. I mean, that, that, it, it is there. a rarity, and, and then maybe that's part of the problem is and that the, the lack of diversity in, Very in that world. Yes, and and with me, I was the only female of color who wanted to advance in the department. Nobody else tried to promote. I tried to promote the corporal. I went uh, on my own time to go get my peace officer certification after a year being in Party County. Because I wanted to be in the field to be able to, because I'm a firm believer in representation. Yeah. Uh, representation is important. When when other sees you and, and you look like them, if they see it, they feel they can be it as well. So you didn't want to be behind a desk or anything oh, like Lord, that. You wanted no. to be out where people are going to yes, see Yes, yes. And so and that's why I worked hard on my own time. Uh, the county didn't have to pay for anything. Got my own, uh, paid for my own uh, license to become a, a peace officer. Applied numerous of time to promote the corporal, field deputy, and was the not. Hmm. Was the not. And uh, I didn't let that stop me. You know, I, I always believe in when people try to tell you you don't fit in or you don't deserve, I like to prove them wrong. Hmm. I like to prove them wrong, and that's exactly what I did. When did you stop fighting the, the sheriff. I mean, when did you start to think, okay, maybe there's even a different direction besides where I am right now? When I was denied promotion, I think I put in promotion at least five different, even more times. Because every time there was a promotion, I put in for mm-hmm. it. So they couldn't ever say that I didn't attempt to try to promote. And so uh, I had a commissioner as well as my current justice of the peace we know each other from working in the community uh, for years, and they knew that I was in, you know, law enforcement. And they came to me. Uh, it was a position being open, the constable's position being open, and they was like, "We feel that you would fit perfectly in this position because the previous constable had passed away. Hmm. Okay, his name was Bubba. He ended up passing away, and they just thought of me." and told me that they think that I would be perfect for the job. I didn't know what the constable was at, at the time. And I started my research again. I'm a firm believer in knowing what job that you put in yeah. for because too many people apply for the job don't have no idea of what they're doing. So I researched the job of a, a constable, and uh, and I reached out to the constable at the time, which was Maurice Jackson. He was constable for precinct two, and started doing ride-alongs with him. And at the time... And when it was time for them to appoint a constable, didn't nobody agree with the appointment but my commissioner. Hmm. They all voted it down. So he came to me, he's like, Miss Jackson, you know, don't feel bad. All you have to do is run for it now. Yeah, so it was an, an appointment at that point, but it's an elected position. It's an elected and position. So 
if the commissioner's office doesn't appoint you, you then you can still run the next election cycle. The next right? election cycle. So what he wanted me to do was complete Bubba Smith's uh, term in office and uh, appoint me to complete his term and then run for the for the position. And so when it was time to run, that's exactly what I got. And prior to all this, uh, throughout my career, when I moved to this area, I just wanted to give give back. So prior to even being elected in office, I was always giving back to the community. I was always mm-hmm. participating in different events. I chaired and co-chaired events like the MLK celebration. I always took part in different activities that just, you know, to just be out there in the community. So people knew me. Right. Way prior to, you know, getting So you weren't an unknown when it was time for them to vote you in as constable, right? Exactly. What year was that? When did you finally get elected? I got elected in 2012. Okay. Took office in January of 2013. And do you serve four-year terms? Four-year terms. Is it a re-election every four years? It is. It is. And what experience that is. I was going to say that, you know, most people get a job and they assume this is my job until I decide I don't want to do this or I get fired you have to keep getting elected. I have to you keep know? getting elected. And I am so grateful to God that I, I'm i a people person. <laughs> and I'm not a politician. I'm not a politician. I'm just a, a people person. And I, and I really felt that I needed to be the person to represent mm-hmm. uh, my precinct in, in, in my area and, and uh, being you know visible to, to the people in that area. And so... Tell me about that precinct. What what part of town does it cover? It's Precinct 4. Okay. Precinct 4 is one of the largest precincts in Parker County. And that precinct covers from your northwest side of town all the way to the northeast side of town, which the northwest, right before you get to western, Mm -hmm. all the way up to south, uh, southwest 6th Street, all the way to the uh, end of Hastings. Okay. And then it stretched all the way out to Grand Street, right? And across, you know, across uh, Emerald Boulevard to some of the southeast area, all the way till you get to southeast Third Street. So it's a pretty large precinct. Yeah, and it's so, a big chunk of Amarillo. It's a big chunk of Amarillo. It really is. Uh, and there's a total of four precincts, mm-hmm. and like I said, I'm precinct four. And you got Precinct 3, who's the rural area. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the young man who's there, he just recently got elected. And you got Precinct 1, and then you got Precinct 2, okay. which covered the east side of town. So I want to take advantage of you being here. And we were talking a little bit before we started that I think there are a lot of people, they know sort of what the county sheriff does. They, do. they have an idea of what APD does within the city limits and yeah. that jurisdiction. And they might know that, Maybe they've seen your your constable vehicle, or they've seen you in public, and you're dressed like a police officer. You yes. look like a peace officer, uh, but they don't really know like what does a constable do. They I mean, don't. What sets you apart? You know, what do you do that maybe the sheriff's office doesn't do, gotcha. or what do you do that APD doesn't do? Right, so, right. Edu- educate me. Educate our listeners okay. on on your job. What well, it I means. got you. I got you. Uh, I've been in office for the last ten years. This year marked the tenth year, and like you stated, there are four four year terms. The constable's position is an elected position. Everybody get us confused with the sheriff. We're not the sheriff, and the sheriff is not the constable. We don't work for the sheriff, and the sheriff don't work for us as well. We're both elected, mm-hmm. and that's about the only You both work for the county. And I we guess, both work but... for the county. Yes, we both work for the county. Uh, but he is elected countywide. I'm elected precinct. Okay. Precinct-wide. So I'm only elected during the precinct, and he's county. The sheriff... It's responsible for the jail 
And he's not only responsible for the jail, he has over three to 400 staff. The constables in each precinct were one person okay. office. And we're all we're ultimately responsible for everything that occurs in the constable's office. Now, Amarillo is not accustomed to having actual working constables. Prior to the current constables being elected, there were prior constables. They just wasn't visible. And a lot of the only it was only one. And I don't know if you ever heard of Maurice Jackson. Maurice Jackson was a constable in precinct two, and he was the only one who actually had a marked vehicle and was out in the, okay. in the public. Every so it's, it has kind of changed then a little oh, bit. Oh, big time. I mean, we have made a big difference in the county since we, we've been in, uh, elected. But to get back to what our job duties are, we uh, we perform, we bailiff the courts. Okay. And we are the civil professional as well as the criminal. We do both sides. So okay. your APD only do the criminal side. They don't touch any civil. I'm, our primary function is the civil side. Anything additional is what we decide we want to do because we're the chief executive of our office. Yeah. We're our own so boss. So you sort of get to define maybe not the legal responsibilities of what you can do, but like what it looks like within the community, right? What it looks like within the community. And like I said, the ultimate responsibility is the civil is the civil side of the law is what because we're, we're considered civil professionals. A lot of people look at us like they're not really law enforcement officers. And we are. We're peace officers for the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. We're actually peace officers. We have the same arrest authorities and I powers. mean, you have a badge, you carry a gun. We do. We do. We are officers for the state of Texas. A lot of people try to minimize our positions, but a lot of people fail to realize we're one of the first uh, identified law enforcement in the Constitution. Hmm. The constables have full range of authority throughout this whole state of Texas because, you know, most law enforcement officers or officers or agencies, they have certain jurisdiction that they have to. Ours is the whole state of Texas. So yeah. we can go and execute any, you know, criminal uh, process, you know, make arrests throughout the whole state. Okay, so you can you can make arrests, you can write traffic tickets. Oh, we do traffic tickets. You can do all those kinds of things. Oh, yes, we can do it all. But again, we can't default on our ultimate responsibility, which is the civil side. Right. And that is uh, processing civil uh, paperwork, unfortunately, removing individuals from their home. Oh, yeah. That's the worst part of our job. Uh, We bailiff the court. We seize property, <laughs> and you know we sell property to meet the judgments of the court. Uh, people don't even realize that, but we all do that. Our own, you know, we don't have anybody that work for us. We have to do all that for our own. We do all our office work. Uh, we're responsible for all the financial responsibility that come through our office, and we ultimately got to say so. Uh, what, how we operate, and and we only answer to the people who elected us. Yeah, and that's another issue that a lot of people have. They say we don't have no accountability. We're accounted, you know, our accountability falls with the people yeah. who elected us. So yeah. every four years, people don't like what you do. How you do it? They won't they can vote you, you out. They can vote you out. So <laughs> God has really been good to me for the last uh, four years to ensure, you know, that I'm 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 safe out there. Uh, I deal with some pretty <laughs> dangerous people out, and we're on our own most of the time. But we try to back each other up, especially when we have to go into these homes to actually remove. Yeah, I was going to say, like, do you get support from like the sheriff's office sometimes, or other constables? Other How does constables. that work? Okay, other constables. We try to ensure that we uh, back each other up when we know we're about to face dangerous situations. Right. We have individuals who barricade themselves inside their homes, and we we don't try to 
you know, burden the police department or the sheriff department, unless we have to. Sure. There's situations where we had to call. Even DPS helped us on some some things. So, But uh, getting back to Emerald Police Department, they're different because the chief is hired. Mm-hmm. He's hired by the city. And so that's the big difference with, with him. Even though the taxpayers, of course, pay his salary, he's hired. Mm-hmm. And you, you got your, your sheriff and your constables are elected. Now, here lately, we have, uh, you know, battled with the commissioner's court, and they have allowed us to uh, have reserve deputies because the workload is just really getting overwhelming. I have really tripled the funds that comes in. The constables are revenue makers. People don't even realize that because we have fees attached to our services. So our customers that, you know, request our service, there's a fee that they have to pay. And so my office is the second highest revenue maker for the county. So we pretty much pay for office. A lot okay. of people think that, oh, we just, because they, they don't know what we do. They don't know our job, and they think we're just, you know, extra and shouldn't, you know, be here. But if they knew exactly what we, you know, what we did, I have individuals who do ride-alongs with me and uh, be able to see actually what the constables are out there doing. But we, when we provide a service, uh, the customer has to pay a fee, and those fees are not cheap. Okay. Well, <laughs> I want to close this section. Okay. Um, now that I understand a little bit about your your career and, okay. and what you do, you know, you've stayed in Amarillo when you kind of ended up here by accident. I did. You know, and I wonder with that history and and with the work that you do and the people you interact with, what is it about Amarillo that has kept you here? Because I imagine there's a need for law enforcement, for women of color in law enforcement all over the state. It is. What's kept you here in Amarillo? What kept me here while I was in Canyon, prior to even moving to Amarillo, I really like, because my kids started getting to be, they started to be school age. And I, I, I loved how... Uh, the, the education system was there in, in, in Canyon, and I felt my two older children would have had better opportunity in the Canyon School District, and so just stayed because I felt there was a lot of opportunity, and, and it was people there who was helping a young woman, a single woman mm-hmm. with, with kids. Like with my education, once I got into school, I was like, I got to stick this thing out, finish with the school, and finally got a job. Met my husband. You know, I've been with my husband. We've about to, 30 years together. All right. 30 years together, and so I wasn't going to go back home. And so uh, married, and then him and I had a, a son together who's currently, he's about to be 25. I have three three grandkids, a total of three kids, you know, children's now, which is 30. My son might be 35. Man, just old. <laughs> 35, 34, and then 25. All right. And then four grandkids. So Amarillo is just such an awesome, and Canyon, you know, place to live uh, affordable, Affordable place. When I first moved here, the crime was very, very low. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I especially just especially in Canyon. Yeah. Especially in Canyon. And I just really liked the environment. So I was like, you know, I had a bad experience at home uh, as a young person, made some bad choices and stuff. So I was like, I want a new fresh start. Okay. And that's what kept me in this area. And I think I made the best choice in my life. This episode of Hamarello is supported by SKP Creative. We live in an online world, and online reviews have the ability to make or break your business. Reviews powered by SKP Creative is the fastest and easiest way to get great reviews from your loyal customers on the platforms of your choice. There's no complicated setup, no expensive training, just a simple, intuitive interface created with small business owners in mind. 
Visit reviews.skpcreative.com to start generating more reviews for your business today. That's reviews.skpcreative.com. Okay, I'm back with Idella Jackson. Uh, Idella, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum on the WT campus in Canyon. I'm sure you know about it since you live there. (laughs) It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes the fossilized remains of an American mammoth that was excavated from the basement of the Santa Fe building in Potter County back when it was being built in 1928. They found the skeleton of a mammoth down there, Mm. um, which is... I've always thought it was really interesting. There's a plaque on the side of the building. You can read about it. You can see uh, some of that. Learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay. Okay. When you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, what do you hope for? In thinking of Amarillo 10 years uh, from now, I'm hoping for the continued economic growth. Uh, Amarillo has really expanded and have grown since I've been here in, in this area. But I really would like to see you know, a lot more growth on the northwest, northeast side. Yeah, of I was going to say a lot of that growth has been the Randall County side, yes. not necessarily in Potter County or in, in your precinct. Exactly. And, and that's what some of the neighborhood plans with North Heights are trying to, to fix. To fix, yes. I know you probably have noticed how so many of the businesses being shut down on Amarillo Boulevard. Just hoping that that growth will expand to that area. Okay. So, other than wind, what does this area have too much of? <laughs> the wind is the biggest. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest issues. The wind just won't let me be great, you know, when I want to wear my hair down. But, you know, the wind is not just, just by itself. It also causes a grass fires as well yeah. as structural fires. It causes that. But I think another one of our big issues is the bipolar weather, weather that we, we have. That, you know, there's been time where we, in one day, we don't experience winter, spring, yeah. <laughs> summer, and fall with the the rain, sleet, snow, hell, you know, the winds. And so that's another issue. Some people, that's a draw. They like that because the weather changes. But it's, oh, it's, crazy. it's not Florida it's where it's We're, 70 degrees every right, day, right? And it's very bipolar here. <laughs> what, what does this area not have enough of? Jason believe that this area don't have enough, uh, you know, proper representation of, of women as well as women, women of color in key positions. And again, we talked about early my experience in the law enforcement. I believe when I first got in law enforcement, there was one woman of color, uh, and her name was uh, Miss Cherry. Uh, Lisa Cherry. Lisa Cherry. APD. Yes, yeah. only one for years, 25 years, only woman, African American woman. Right. They're with the force, and I, I really believe that. And currently, I think they have two African-Americans female, and that just hadn't happened in the history of Amarillo, you know. And so I really feel that we need to have more proper representation of uh, not only women, but women of color in those areas. And that can include even elected positions. Sure. You know, and administrative positions in the schools and different Commissioner's like courts Commissioner's and council. Court. I mean, we've... We're it lacking is, in that area. It is. And, and is is there a way to improve that? Like how, other than, you know, little girls seeing you and seeing know, you in uniform. That's why I do what I do. I mean, is there a way to, to drive that change a little bit faster? Well, only way I could see, especially on the law enforcement side, they're probably going to have to go outside of Amarillo for recruitment. Okay. Uh, try to catch some of those women coming out of uh, the academy. Freshly at the academy, offering them an opportunity. Because unfortunately, here in Amarillo, even when they see me and I talk to young ladies, like, please, please come join. <laughs> come come join this career. They're like, oh, no, no, no. Women are just not 
in this area that I know of, just not interested in the challenge because mm. it's definitely a challenge. You always feel like an outsider. You know, you don't feel accepted. Constantly having to prove yourself. Yeah. You know, and so I can understand why, you know, the women are not interested. But when they see me, they like, oh, if you can do it, then we can do it. We can do it, too. Okay, when you talk to outsiders about Amarillo, what do you talk about? When I talk to outsiders about Amarillo, I mostly talk about the affordability. Okay. You, I mean, Amarillo is very affordable. The cost of living here is amazing, and that's that exactly what kept me here in this area. And, and it's affordable, and then job opportunity, if you want to work, is there. Yeah, that's for it's sure. there, yes. What's your favorite local neighborhood? Of course, my precinct. I have, <laughs> I have to say that. That's multiple people, neighborhoods, though, right? It, it yeah. is. It's, it's multiple neighborhoods, but it's precinct four, and uh, I represent those people. They have allowed me the opportunity to represent them the last three election cycles. And so I grant them as being my <laughs> my favorite. Okay. Precinct They've four. kept you in the job. They so. kept me in the job. They kept me... Uh, Cause I'm, I'm doing the job, you know, of the people, and and they appreciate that, and they continue to elect me. So. Okay, what's your favorite local restaurant or food truck? I'm not a big going out to eat person. I, I I'm really on this health kick. I, I you know I don't go out to eat often, but when I do, for me goes off. Uh, it's a Latin bar off Amarillo Boulevard. I've been there. Oh my God! Really good, really good. So I have two. Can I name two? Yeah, sure. <laughs> for me goes in Devon's restaurant. Okay. Are two of my favorite. If I get to the point where I don't want to fix anything today, those are the two that I really go to. All right, Delvin's has been uh, around for years. Flamingos is pretty new. They knew last couple years on the boulevard. They're new. And the owner, I just love them. Very Old friendly. Taco Villa building. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's it. Very good eat. Okay, <laughs> I I agree with both of those choices. Uh, what's the most underrated aspect of living in Amarillo? Job opportunities that people don't even realize. Just blooming with, with jobs. If you actually want to work, there's no way you can't get a job. You could have two jobs. You could have two to. jobs. I did it before. I had three jobs at one point. So it's just, it, it's you can't go anywhere, in, in my opinion, that uh, it's just a, a wide range of uh, job options. In fact, that's, that's one area that is a challenge for us because... Constantly growing. Yeah, we're constantly growing. It's hard to bring in get new businesses people, if you can't, can't get the staff those to, businesses. Yeah, so if you don't go, you don't have a job because you don't want to work. Yeah. Because Amarillo has it. Okay, and last question. When was the last time you visited the Big Texan? The last time I, oh, like I said, I'm not a big going out to eat person, but I was invited to a birthday celebration of a friend. So I didn't have to big, eat the big steak yeah. <laughs> that they provide. So uh, it's been several years. Okay. It's been several years ago, and it was a birthday celebration. All right. Yeah, it's, so. it's not a place that's always on the radar for locals. Right. But... Uh, it's always interesting to go there. Right, especially on your birthday. I yeah, well, free prime rib on your right. birthday, right? Okay, Idella, this is, uh, that's the, the end of the eight straight questions. I like okay. to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would want listeners to know about or to experience? Oh, I believe it's a nonprofit organization, the Maverick Boys and Girls Club. Okay. Uh, Donna Sora is the director of that organization, and she's doing amazing work. Her and her staff is doing amazing work there. And if anybody looking for a nonprofit to support, I highly recommend the Maverick Boys and Girls Club. They've been around for a long, long they time have. in Amarillo. They have, but recently, uh, for, I guess for the last five, six years, and just doing great things. They're being recognized nationally. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and and she's just doing amazing things. He has brought 
that organization back up to where it's respected and need to be. And uh, fortunately, I currently serve as the safety chair okay. for the board-led committee. And uh, I just seen a big, just big turnaround as it relates to safety and just how, you know, affordable that place is for, you know, people in need of yeah. child care. And we're, we're keeping kids keeping out of trouble, kids. too. I mean, that's it's originally how street. it started with Cal that's Farley, what I heard. right? Trying yes. to keep little boys, you out know, from... Trouble. From doing stuff they shouldn't be doing. Yeah, exactly. All right. Constable Idella Jackson, I appreciate you being on the podcast. Thanks for being here. I appreciate you having me, Jason. And hopefully uh, my story will inspire someone. I know a lot of your listeners probably can't relate, but hopefully we can uh, inspire someone. I hope they see you out in the community and think, I want to wear a a uniform like she does. (laughs) Exactly. Thank you, Jason. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Idella for the interview. Thanks also to Angelina Marie for editing this episode and to sponsors SKP Creative and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for supporting the show. Hey, Amarillo exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Hey, Amarillo's executive producers include Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Corey Burns, Josh Wood, Wes Reeves, Patrick Burns, and Barbara and Jim Witten. This has been episode 285. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.